welcome to rhetoric Orama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. Here are your hosts, Dr. David R. Dewberry and Dr. Tim, as seen on TV, McGee. I'm Dave. And I'm Tim. And today we continue our first season of rhetoric Orama by discussing the wonderful world of rhetoric. In this episode, we begin our three-part series on Aristotle's genres of rhetoric. Today's topic is the power and the mystery of deliberative rhetoric. But first, let's hear some untranslated Latin or Greek to get us started. Kai high tone fuse spudaioteron arate kalius kai ta erga hoyan andros egunaikos. That's from the guy who quoted Sappho? He was a complicated dude. Tim, what is deliberative rhetoric? Deliberative rhetoric is the rhetoric that deliberates about things that are going to come up in the future. It sort of focuses on the future. It urges us to do something that is good or avoid what is bad. And it's uh, divided into things that are expedient versus utilitarian. Expedient is kind of what's going to be the best thing right here, right now, whereas utilitarian often has some notion of the greatest good for the greatest number. Do you have an example of something that's very expedient? Um, basically, let's say you were uh, wanting uh, a cheeseburger. There you go. What you do is you get yourself to some place that sells them and buy one. Uh huh. That is expedient. Indeed. And so, can we say something about you? What would be the difference between utilitarian there? Well, Using cheeseburgers as the example. Um, it's possible that cheeseburgers are not a good example because if we're talking about the greatest good for the greatest number, maybe a cheeseburger isn't really good for me. But on the other hand, if I had the opportunity for everybody to have a cheeseburger, that might be a utilitarian goal. So it is both good and bad, the cheeseburger? Some, some would say it is both. It tastes good, but it might be bad for you. So that uh, focuses on the future, what we should do, and we should do good things, we should avoid the bad things. And what contexts are these helpful in, Tim? Oh, well, we talk about finance. We talk about things like war and peace, uh, the defense of the country, imports and ex- exports, legislation. These are the kind of things that in ancient Athens they would be deliberating about. Now that we know what the, uh, the, the goals of deliberative rhetoric are and what Aristotle's subjects for deliberative rhetoric are, we can talk about his ultimate goal. Tim, what is Aristotle's ultimate goal when we talk about deliberative rhetoric? Happiness. What makes you happy, Tim? Success and integrity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a coincidence because that's exactly what Aristotle says. Um, you know what makes me happy? What? Self-sufficiency. Well, it turns out as an academic, that's sort of one of the big three that academics value. You're going to have to explain in some detail there, Tim. Well, they say different people in different jobs are motivated by different things. And academics are supposedly motivated by autonomy, community, and recognition. So I think that autonomy really translates into that self-sufficiency for an academic. What other things make you happy, Tim? Um, uh, The pleasant life conjoined with safety. Conjoined with Mm -hmm. safety. What does that mean, Tim? Well, you could do something that was pleasant but really risky Mm-hmm. And so that Such would, as like paragliding without a safety harness? Exactly. That's not a big hobby of mine. <laughs> Nor of mine. Okay. Um, the other things that make us happy is a thriving ex- estate and making use of when, what you have. You know, here's an interesting thing, Tim, and you know this, I know this. People who've read Aristotle's book number one of the rhetoric know this. Um, he mentions slaves. Indeed. That's not good. 
Well, it turns out uh, in Athens in 5th century BC, there were a lot of slaves. They were, this is a, a big uh, sort of naval empire, mm -hmm. and uh, one of the ways that they got wealthy and powerful was by dominating their neighbors, and sometimes they would uh, uh, engage in conflict and, and take captives, and those captives would be their slaves. So. Uh, even though we talk about uh, 5th century BC as this wonderful democracy, it was a democracy for Athenian men, born, you know, free-born men in Athens. And there were a whole lot of people who were uh, not uh, born in Athens. They were not free. They were not male. So even though it was something of a radical democracy and that you didn't have to be rich to have a say, uh, you did have to be a free-born Athenian male to have a say. Mm. Does that invalidate his theory? Um, it certainly makes it, uh, when we talk about its applicability to a wider environment, and, and one of the things about rhetoric is people say, well, rhetoric is sort of your, your uh, uh, extreme dead white European male discourse mm -hmm. because of its origins. But uh, just because that, those were the limitations on it back then doesn't mean that today rhetoric could not be used by uh, all manner of people in all, uh, in all, all situations. All situations. Right. All right, so we've talked about the goals of being happiness, and that can be success, liberty, being self-sufficient, the pleasant life conjoined with safety, a thriving estate, making use of what you have, and the last one, having a personal and external goods. What are personal and external goods? Well, personal goods could be your desk lamp. External goods could be something like the neighborhood in which you live. Maybe that's an external good. You don't own it, but you uh, it's something that you I benefit. I enjoy, I get some benefit from being part of that community. Indeed. Mm. So Aristotle also talks about uh, the constituents and what is good and useful, and some of these overlap. Uh, do you want to run through these real quick, Tim? Sure. Well, the constituents, he's got a list of about a dozen things. He's got nobility, fame, children, wealth, reputation, honor, health, beauty, stature, athletic excellence, having many friends, good fortune, and virtue. What do you think, uh, the top three out of that list, what would I, you say? I'd say, interestingly, health. You had said earlier that maybe he should have mentioned it. Well, it turns out he did. I'd say health is really important. And then I think uh, having many friends is something that I would uh, think important. And then I'd be torn between good fortune or virtue. Virtue is a good thing, but being lucky is another good thing. That's true. Constituents of happiness. He also talks about examples of what is good and useful, and some of these overlap with the constituents that we just ran through pretty quick. But there are some differences. You know what my favorite one is, Tim? What's that? Is, is, is what is good and useful. He talks about the need for rhetorical and practical ability. Doesn't well, you, that just make you weep? Well, you would say that. You're a rhetorician. That's a good thing, and that's why you know you should study rhetoric. Wouldn't you agree? Indeed. One of his other good and useful things is natural gifts such as memory, sharpness of wit. Mm. So a lot of people talk about rhetoric uh, depends upon nature, art, and practice. So someone by nature might have a good speaking voice, but there is an art that can be learned. And then finally, practice makes perfect. So if you've got two out of those three, there's a good chance you could be an effective orator. And if you don't have those, you know what you could do? What? You could have a performance-enhancing drug. <laughs> there you go. I, I don't know what that would be. Uh, Orange it, juice and a cup of tea. Indeed. Right? All right. We know what happiness is. We know it's the goal. We know some examples of that and things that make us happy. But sometimes there's things that what are in, uh, uh, in dispute. Mm -hmm. Right. So, for example, we talked about the delicious cheeseburger. Right. A delicious cheeseburger, right? It is good 
but it is also not good. Mm-hmm. How do we deal with that? How does Aristotle tell us we should deal with that? Well, we've got sort of the disputed goods are something which is um, the contrary of bad. So uh, Aristotle would probably divide it into it's good in terms of its ability to give you pleasure. It's bad in terms of its uh, effect upon your health. So um, I'm not sure what he would do there. I don't think he would eat a cheeseburger. Did they have cheeseburgers in ancient Rome? Uh, no, I think they had cheese. They probably had feta cheese, and uh, they were probably more eating a lamb and like, goat like than those beef. mushroom burgers that they try to sell? Yeah. Oh, those are terrible. Uh, a, a goat burger? Yeah, they probably have a goat burger. So they probably have you know some some goat on a on a uh, pita bread with some uh, feta cheese. That's the closest you're going to get to a cheeseburger. That sounds like a lie, <laughs> not a cheeseburger. All right. So the contrary of of uh, what is bad is good is mm-hmm. a way to figure this out. Yep. Um, the opposite. He he talks about this right because it is deliberative rhetoric about what the city what we should do in the city state. The opposite of what the enemy wants or is good for the enemy is good for us. So who is the enemy of the cheeseburger? Uh, the enemy of the cheeseburger, I think, is a salad. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So I'm not sure this example actually is relevant at all, uh, but I like talking about the enemy of the cheeseburger. So if it helps the people who are fighting us against us, it's not good for us. Indeed. All right. Uh, let's do it. Oh, the doctor. The, the cardiologist is the natural enemy of the cheeseburger. Or, indeed, he could be in favor of the cheeseburger because it's going to give him business. Blind man. Wow. I think we just hit something deep. <laughs> something deep. And then the last thing, uh, no, not the last thing, uh, what people are invested in mm. is good. Now, let me ask you this, Tim. Let's say I have been eating cheeseburgers from various places. Yes. Now, you know this. I know this because I know this. I've had a cheeseburger where the cheeseburger was supposedly invented, actually the hamburger, in New Haven, Connecticut. And so I've traveled to many places, you've traveled to many places, to get a delicious cheeseburger. I have. I have invested a lot of time and resources into my uh, search for a cheeseburger. Does that mean it's good? Um, For you, it would be a good. Mm. Now, somebody else who has not invested in the cheeseburger, they may not think much of They may think that's an unwise investment on your part. Mm-hmm. But, and you know what? I would think that everything they believe is wrong. But uh, the fact that you have invested in it, that is evidence of the fact that it is to you a good. A good and advantageous thing. And it should be, you know, we're talking about what is disputed, right? So not good in and of itself, but in comparison to other things, right? I've invested a lot of time in cheeseburgers, but I've also invested a lot of time in petty theft, petty theft, right? <laughs> and so I guess it would probably be more better for me to invest my time in cheeseburgers than petty theft, as you know. What else is something that is good if we're in dispute that we can kind of discuss about? Well, if something is praised, so uh, something- that's like Five Guys, right? Because yeah. you go into Five Guys and they have all the signs on the wall. It says mm-hmm. best cheeseburger. 2016. Indeed. St. Louis Herald. Indeed. That, I don't know if that's for, for a while, I had a job writing uh, reviews of restaurants, uh, but it wasn't uh, for, uh, say, a prestigious publication. It was for the PR company that the restaurant hired. So I would go in, I would get a free meal, and then write a rave, 
rave review, and then we would laminate that in plastic so it looked like it was from the major newspaper in that region, and then the restaurant would get to hang that on their door. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is you lived a, a life of lies. <laughs> Indeed. All right. I've been an outlaw for quite some time. All right, so some other things. Uh, if something is disputed and good, and there's just some question about its goodness, we can talk about, uh, just as we discussed uh, previously, if it helps our friends and annoys our enemies, mm. right? That's uh, something we can say to say something's better than others. Uh, if our admirers like it, it's mm -hmm. something that's, that we can argue is good. And what comes naturally to us, right? So if you can find a job doing what is good and that you're naturally good at, that's going to be better than other things, right? I think so. Beautiful. But not only there's disputed goods, but there's also degrees of good he talks about, right? Not what's just good, but what's the best, Yeah. Right? And he talks about some various strategies there. So, Tim, you want to run us through those strategies? Yeah, so one of the things, he, they talk about the best, the, the aristos. And so something that surpasses other things is then the best. So let's say you've got five vendors of cheeseburger, mm -hmm. and the one that surpasses the other four is the best. Um, then there's the notion of something which is good in its own right. The um, double cheeseburger. The double cheeseburger. Mm. The bacon double cheeseburger. Oh, that's too much. Uh, then there's the notion of rarity. So certain things uh, are deemed good because they're rare. Turns out diamonds are not really all that rare, but one company has sort of made the supply of them uh, rather constricted. So we then value them highly because of their rarity. Mm -hmm. But something like water, which is not at all rare, is actually a lot more useful than diamonds. If you're in a desert and you had a choice between give me a glass of diamonds or a glass of water, a glass of water is going to be a little more beneficial. You know, you say that, Tim, but when I asked my wife to marry me with a glass of water, <laughs> it, did, it did not turn out well at all. So not only what's rare, what's elusive, what is hard to gain, mm -hmm. right? And so... Um, the uh, the precious original cheeseburger at uh, New Haven might be elusive for some people if you're not in that area. What's valuable and what is pleasant, right? Mm. Those are all things that can affect the degrees of good. So Aristotle talks lastly about the forms of government. So how do the forms of government play into all this, Tim? Well, he considers four different forms of government. He's got democracy, oligarchy, the rule of the few, aristocracy, the rule of the best, and monarchy, sort of a, a single ruler. And for each one of these, he says it has its own end or goal. So in democracy, the end goal is liberty. In oligarchy, the end goal is wealth. In aristocracy, according to Aristotle, the end goal is education and legality. And in monarchy, we've got tyranny and self-preservation. So in each one of those different government structures, what you would be deliberating, what you would be seeking, would depend upon what would be the one that would best serve that particular governmental structure. Hmm. Love it. All right, Tim, what is deliberative rhetoric? Deliberative rhetoric is the kind of rhetoric that you engage in when you are communicating to an audience about what they ought to do in the future, the best choice they have. So a lot of times it was vote for this person or vote for that person, build a seawall or don't build a seawall. So it's really about getting your audience to consider among multiple options what one is the best choice to make. Are you ready for your challenge? I am. So here's my question to you. We have talked a lot about, and Aristotle talks a lot about in his discussion of deliberative rhetoric, about what we should do. And that's, as you just said, based on what's good and what's advantageous to us. Now, how do we argue what's 
bad and what we shouldn't do. One way is to say it's the opposite of what we should do. So you can say X is a bad thing to do because it's going to deprive us of one of those things we want, whether it's liberty or wealth or education or tyranny. So we should not do things that uh, do not bring us nobility, fame. We should not do the things that give us uh, 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 bad health, right? Indeed. Hmm. And we should not do the things that do not give us practical ability and rhetorical practice, right? Indeed. So you're saying Aristotle would say it would be a crime to not listen to this podcast. I think so. I think you would too. A high crime and misdemeanor. All right. So we're good? We're good. Now it's time for the bonus content. Will it be a fallacy, a historical anecdote, or rhetorical device? Let's have Dr. Tim spin the wheel. Oh, goody, a rhetorical device. Yay! Today's rhetorical device is hasty generalization, when a claim is based on inadequate or unrepresentative samples, examples, since Aristotle says that you should argue a policy based on examples. So yeah, so that's strange, isn't it? That we get hasty generalization on a random spin of the wheel? That's the way the wheel works. That's the way the wheel works. Can you give me an example of hasty generalization? I got one for you. Okay. So I was um, at the grocery store the other day, Mm -hmm. and when I turned the corner, this lady looked at me for one-tenth of a second, and so I assumed she'd been staring at me the whole time, because why wouldn't she? Is that, that's hasty generalization, right? That's pretty hasty, I think. Yeah. (laughs) In many ways, that's pretty hasty. Do you have an example, Tim? Oh, let's say uh, it is known that I have both good health and that I eat a cheeseburger a day. Mm -hmm. So if you then to conclude that a cheeseburger a day is uh, something that is conducive to good health, that might be a little hasty because you would not know some of the other things that I might do to contribute to my general good health. Like? Eating hamburgers instead of cheeseburgers? Or eating a salad instead of a cheeseburger. Don't talk like that, Tim. It's breaking my heart. Okay, before we go get some cheeseburgers, let's take care of some business. All right. This episode is sponsored by Toga City. There's just one place to go for all your toga needs, and that's Toga City, a giant warehouse of togas for every occasion. Thousands to choose from in every shape, size, and color. And because they eliminate the middleman, they can sell all their togas factory direct to you. If you need a place to go to get your name brand togas at a fraction of retail cost, you go to Toga City. And this weekend only, take advantage of their special liquidation sale. Buy nine togas and get the tenth one for just one penny. And don't forget, they make great Saturnalia presents. And what better way to say I love you than with the gift of a toga? So come on down to Toga City. There's seven locations and they're in the yellow pages under togas. Toga City, they sell togas and that's all. I'm Tim McGee, and that's David R. Dewberry. We're professors of communication at Ryder University, and this has been rhetoric rama a podcast about all things rhetoric. We'd like to thank our British voiceover artist, and we'd like to thank our musical director, Tom Santiago. rhetoric rama is recorded at Casto di Pato Studios. If you have any questions or are you looking for more information, you can contact us via our website, rhetoric.fun, or consult your local library. Now, let's go get some cheeseburgers. That does seem advantageous. And expedient. Ooh.